Hey guys, gals, this is Randy Newberg, and uh, I got talked into a new idea here. It's uh, the first and the original Hunt Talk podcast, and I'm in Bozeman, Montana right now, and the guys who suckered me into this are two of my friends who work for uh, 0.0 in their ZPZ West office, Dan Doty, Giannis Patelis. They, uh, they're the guys who, if you read and watch my stuff, they produce the Mediator show. And uh, they they spent some time with me in Alaska last spring in a rainy tent try, trying to film a bear hunt. And this topic came up about politics, hunting, everything else, and how I was thinking I needed to have a radio platform. And so we here spent, we are. We spent seven days in a little dinghy boat with a little tiny motor while Randy braved the elements and, <laughs> and rode in rough seas for seven days straight. Very impressively, I might add, rode his tail off. Oh, man. That, you know, I, as I'm rowing across the Pacific Ocean and you guys are in a motorboat, I'm like, am I really this dumb? <laughs> or am I just that proud that I told him I'd do this, so I'm not willing to call it quits at this point, but... Well, you definitely gained some street credit with us by doing that. <laughs> at any point in time, we could have like attached a rope and drug Randy back to camp or to the other island, and we never did that. I wanted to. No. Oh, I, know, I know. You guys had to get tired of waiting for me. But Anyhow, these are great guys, and uh, if you watch the Meat Eater show and you watch our show, Fresh Tracks, you know there's a lot of parallels, and... So when guys like that come to me and say, Randy, you need to start flapping your, your mouth on radio, I, I take note. So uh, thanks for, for talking me into it. And if it falls apart, I'm blaming you guys. That's fine. I'll take the responsibility. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's the best idea in the world for you to do a podcast. I'm glad we're doing it. I think you have the, uh, the voice, and, and I mean that in a couple ways. I mean the, you know, the intelligence and the breadth and the experience to, to speak out. And the, uh, I think you're a great speaker too. Actually, we just filmed uh, a little trailer for a documentary for the future, and Randy was featured in that. And um, my fiance loves your voice. She oh, said, really? she, said she could fall asleep to it. <laughs> that, that's the problem. Yeah. I have an insomnia voice. <laughs> Definitely a cure for all those who can't get to sleep at night. But yeah, well, you know, part of the, the thing that always has people intrigued about Randy Newberg is, one, I'm not afraid to say what needs to be said because unlike most people in the media, I own all my platforms. So what are they going to do? Fire Randy Newberg because he says something? The only person who can fire me is my wife. And she, she threatens to on a daily basis. But uh, I think that, that gives me a, a freedom or an independence that a lot of other people in outdoor media don't have. And then I, I've got this 25-year history of, for whatever weird reason, engaging in all these political debates. And as hunters, I think we're kind of loners. I don't know. seems like we don't really want to be involved in politics. And quite honestly, I don't either. But the politicians and their lobbyists have taken all of our issues and drug them over into the political arena, knowing that we as hunters kind of leave it alone. So, But we should be active. Oh, yeah. I, I think a lot of us want to be active, but we might not necessarily know exactly how. You know, once it gets drug over that political arena, it's such a... Um, you know, pl unknown place for us that, you know, 
oh yeah, it's a quagmire over there. You know, I think hunters want something that's sensible, logical, and you get over in the political arena, and it's nothing is sensible or logical, and so hunters tune it out as a general rule. And also, when you tune something out, you aren't familiar with how the the process works and it, the politics of it. It is a very strange. As much as we all talk about how strange the outdoor TV world is, politics is outdoor TV on steroids. I mean, it's, well, it's that weird. I think too. One of the the you know impediments or the difficulties is the and, and you said this just recently to me was. Uh, how it's hard for hunters just to have an honest conversation. And, yeah. and you know, when you're, when you're just communicating through outdoor TV or hunting television or, or other avenues and you have other people's interests in mind, it's hard to just really speak the truth and speak out and, and have a good conversation. And that's, you know, I think one of the fundamental reasons we're doing this right now and sitting down and doing this podcast because it, it offers a place to truly have an honest conversation it with each other and with the hunting community in general, which is really kind of a missing element. It's hard to, it's hard to know where your information is, is valid and, and honest and, and authentic. Yeah. And you know, I, I tell people this, that as hunters, because we're, we're kind of a minority anymore. We feel at times we're under attack that we kind of act like we're a small religion where you never speak out against something you see the other guy doing if he labels him or herself as a hunter. And as a result, I think we end up not having the honest discussions you talk about, Dan, and and that's not healthy. Uh, you got to have that stuff, you know, and every once in a while you have a little dust up and you move on. And besides just other people's interests, we're corralled by time. I mean, every episode that we shoot, we shoot 10 or 12 hours. Is that usually... A footage? Yeah. Oh, way more than that, probably. How like many to, would you guess? I actually don't have a good guess. Uh, but, I mean, it feels like a lot more. Yeah, it does. Either way, it's all compressed to 22 minutes. And so every time we're out there, there's so much good content, so much good stuff that uh, just has to be cut out. And so I feel like this is a great way where all those things that we talk about out there that we'd like to include in episodes, now they can be put out there. Yeah, and, I mean, Randy, like, that was, you know, spending those – eight, nine days in Southeast Alaska with you last year was, was the, that was the overwhelming feeling I left with was we shot so probably hours of just amazing content of, of you just basically, you know, telling your message and giving your experience. And, uh, yeah. And there's only so much you can do with that. And it's kind of a tricky market. It's kind of a tricky world to, to really, you know, yeah. not only entertain, but inform and yeah. I, you know, I just, I respect you and see you in this position to really be able to inform. And I've always thought that radio or, or sort of a, a voice forward medium is, is ideal for you. So, well, I appreciate that. Hopefully when it's all said and done, you won't pull Giannis aside and say, you know what? I was completely wrong about that guy. He doesn't know his butt from third base, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, the funny part was out on hunt talk, you know, our big web forum, I told the guys, I posted a thread, Hey, you know, I, I'm getting talked into this podcast thing on Friday. You guys have any topics? Oh, my goodness. The number of topics they want us to talk about that, as you say, Giannis, is not something that ever pops up on TV. I mean, we could do a, a two-day nonstop podcast based on the, the amount of topics that they brought up. Any big surprises? Anything jump out that you're like, holy cow? Uh, um, 
you know, they, one of the things was they said, Randy, we want you unfiltered. And I'm thinking, well, how do they know when I'm filtered and unfiltered? Because on TV, let's face it, on TV, Steve's a little bit filtered. You guys are a little filtered. I'm a little filtered. And so I'm not sure what they mean by unfiltered, but uh, they're probably going to get some of it. Uh, as I told you, Dan, this might be Randy Newberg's one chance to get fired from outdoor TV. <laughs> but, you know, topic-wise, it's kind of what you would expect. Uh, the things that are maybe a little bit controversial or the things that they feel we are not having honest discussions about in the print media or in TV, they want us to talk about those things. So, yeah. What would be a good example? Um, you know, a good example that they want want to know, they, they want to know how is outdoor TV made? Well, you guys did a really good piece on that about the behind-the-scenes stuff that, that I downloaded from your stuff. So I, they, they want that. They, they want to know how many other TV, how do the TV personalities mix with each other? Do we all go hunting together? Do we all go to these conferences, hold hands and sing Kumbaya? Or do we go out and have drinks afterwards? And That's interesting, especially coming back from SHOT Show and the Sportsman oh, Awards, yeah. because it's, uh, you should, you should maybe get it, answer that it's fascinating to uh, paint a picture of so, how that works so dan is going to serve me up with the very first topic to see if i can get kicked off out to our tv <laughs> but uh yeah there's you know how do, how do i say this we all of us have our own perspectives and our own followings that we represent you guys with steve and meat eater me with fresh tracks and before that on your own adventures and you know, at the, that award show, you guys were there. Heck, you won two of the yeah. two of the awards. Congratulations on that! And uh, I was sitting back there in the peanut gallery, oh, clapping and applause for you guys. But uh, you know, they they gave an open mic to Ted Nugent that night. And earlier that day, they had most of us producers. You were at the meeting, Dan, where where networks are talking about hey, we got to make sure we present this positive image and we got to do this. And you guys are the, the portal by which non-hunters or new hunters form their identity of hunting. And then Nuge gets up there and decides he wants to bury the idiot meter. I mean, it's like, what? Everybody's looking at each other like, is he saying what? I, and I don't know among all the F words, if you guys were able to get anything coherent out of what he said. No, um, yeah. I mean it was. Well, it, yes, but my my like I was so kind of triggered by what he was saying that I that I just I couldn't really pay yeah. attention. I was just like I just uh, all I know is that I absolutely hate what he is doing here. Yeah, that's all I thought. Yeah, and I mean I'm a life member of the NRA, so when I see the new John Pierce Morgan and he's you know sizing Pierce for a new ass hat on the the deal about guns and the Second Amendment, I'm standing laughing and. You know, go get him, Ted. But then he occasionally, and, I, you know, we're kind of picking on him, but it's there's plenty of other people in outdoor media that are untouchables that sometimes go off half-cocked and, and say and do things that is not good for hunting. I mean, those of us who try to produce TV that can extend the audience has some level of, I guess, respect for hunting. Uh, you know, he went on this whole tirade about, all of us who 
don't talk about blood and guts, wipe the blood off, and blah, blah, blah. We're a bunch of chicken shit pansy asses. Awful close to the words he used with a bunch of F-bombs in there. And for the the whole rest of the audience who's there who tries to produce tasteful TV, it's like, how the hell does he get off that no one's going to say anything to him, no one's going to do anything to him for this? It was a very divisive rant you know yeah. and again we talk about not trying to divide the hunting community and yeah. sometimes we're going to have to because we're going to have to have these conversations but his rant was very divisive and it almost felt like if you weren't cheering him on at the end then you get this like ah oh, you're not even an american kind of a look from other people and it's like whoa whoa, whoa. yeah you know we're american because we all get to say whatever we want to say and and dislike it or like it you know when we hear something like that yeah so i i don't know the next morning at the shot show you run into a lot of people who were there, and the buzz was, did you hear what he said last night? It's like, how could you not? I mean, if I was one of the networks, the last thing I would want is for somebody's camera, someone's uh, smartphone, to have captured that and it to show up on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, if well, we're engaged here at ZPZ West with Mediator and, and other projects is really you know, building a positive image of the American hunter and showing like how, you know, hunters are connected to their their food and their community and the land and all this stuff. And Nugent's out there literally saying, kill as many animals as you can. Do not apologize for it. And if you don't like that idea, f- you. Yeah. And if you're offended by this, f- you too. Yeah. And it's, it's literally, you know, sitting in that award ceremony, there's this amazing contradiction happening that I saw. Uh, for, first of all, there's this tiny little corner in that space where, Randy, you're there, and the little meat eater team is there, the Western Hunter team is there, and amongst that entire crowd, I feel like, well, that's our people, you know, right. and it's it's a very small percentage of that whole thing, and yeah, Nugent's up there. Just, I, I, it's it's actually in a sense, it may be uh, helpful for what I want to do in this community, in this world, in, in showing like, you know, this, this is what Americans may think of hunting when they see Nugent. And it really makes our stuff stand out right. in such a massive way. It, it makes our message, message stand out. It makes our production quality. Everything stands out. And, you know, I could sit there and just be offended or, or angry, but, you know, he may be doing a, us a favor in yeah. the long run. I'm showing like the, the real negative side of it which is maybe very helpful for yeah, us. Yeah, and I don't know if that was just done for shock and awe. I was going to say, what? shock jock really kind of keeps popping in my mind. It's like someone that's just going to go out there and just really say some extreme things to just get people riled up. Yeah, and, and for me, that night I went back to my room and I, I typed up this huge blog to post on Hunt Talk. And I'm like, Randy, you are too PO'd right now to post that. And... To your point of this shock jock stuff, I, I think you're right, Giannis, but when is the hunting community going to feel like it's safe to stand up and say, you know what, Ted, put a cork in it. Go do the good things for hunting that you've done on many other occasions, but quit this crap. And, and I guess it's a little bit reflective of there are some untouchables, if you want to call it that, in the hunting world, and he's one of them. And is it healthy to have untouchables? I don't think so. I'm not untouchable. I know if I would have got up there, loaded the room with F-bombs and called every other TV producer a candy ass, my network contract would have been voided the next morning. Every sponsor I have would have junked me the next morning. 
So I, I don't know that it's healthy to have a media that is so scared of itself. He's, he was no also one, he was also crapping on Sportsman Channel too, which I thought was yeah. I mean, come into the Sportsman Awards and basically crap on that channel and say that he can do whatever he wants just because it's a Sportsman Channel right. award. Yeah, like, come on, man. Yeah. I, anyhow, though that that was one of the topics, Giannis, and I didn't mean to get off on a big tangent here, but you know they want to know how us TV guys get along, and for I'd say as a general rule, we all get along pretty good you know we're all competing for the same sponsors but hey that's just the business world but i don't know i'm i'm kind of a, a different duck in outdoor tv anyhow i, I mean if i was doing this to make money <laughs> i i could have uh, found a whole lot better financial models than what i do but i'm passionate about this audience i'm passionate about the fact that we as hunters have a huge contribution to make to society, not just what we've done in the past, but in the future. And I'm not going to just stand there and listen to crap where I think people are doing something that is not beneficial to it. We're all, there. there's not any of us, including the news, who are bigger than hunting. As much as some of us think we might be, none of us are. And so that's, that's why I do all these things. That's why I'm going to do a podcast. That's why I'm probably going to open my mouth and get fired tomorrow and everything else. But, uh, so the other topics, man, I, I wrote them down here. They want me to talk about politics. They want me to talk about conservation. They, they want to talk about wolves. Uh, how did I get branded as Randy, Mr. Wolf? Well, you spoke up. You think so? Yeah, you did do a two-part episode of your show about it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it was b- branded as the first filmed Wolf Kill or something along those lines. Yeah. Right? It's, you so know, there you go. <laughs> I guess you're right, Anderson. Anytime the wolf issue elevates on the national scale, I get the call. You know, Randy Newberg. And you quickly realize when you're dealing with national media like the New York Times and the Chicago Sun Tribune or whatever they are there, that you, you got to be a little bit guarded because they're very qualified journalists, but they definitely have an MO that isn't ours. And uh, I'm unapologetic about hunting wolves. I'm unapologetic about state management of wolves. And it's, it's that classic example of what we talked about earlier. If there's one topic that's become a political topic that's relevant to hunters, it's wolves in the bigger picture of wildlife management as a state responsibility rather than a judicial federal responsibility. And I'm I'm pretty outspoken against that or about that. So I guess <laughs> you guys are looking at me like, duh, Randy, how, how do you think you got to be known as the wolf guy? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's obvious how you got to be known as the wolf guy. I don't think it's a surprise. I haven't seen that New York Times article. That's, is that, it's probably available online. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, when our episode aired, uh, the network sent out pre-releases to all the national media. And the New York Times picked it up, and they did a piece on it that, as you can expect, was not very complimentary about hunting an endangered species. Well, <laughs> they're, they're not endangered. We all know that, but that doesn't sell many newspapers. And then from that article, what happened is the Center for Biological Diversity uh, in Tucson, Arizona, 
one of the serial litigators in the wolf deal, picked it up. And they started an online petition that if you go out there right now, there's 80,000 signatures to have Randy Newberg removed from the air. <clears throat> and they told their, all the people, you know, here's his Facebook page, here's this and that. Um, I've received, at last count, I quit counting them, 400 death wishes as a result of that petition and all that work. That wow, via email or regular yeah, mail? Yeah, via or email or going to our website and the contact us link. You wow. know, they, they want me to become a neutered eunuch and uh, you know, all kinds of things. That could be the podcast name, neutered eunuch. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> I don't know. It, uh, I, I think... What that helped, though, is it was at a time and place when hunters were really feeling kicked in the sack about, hey, we were promised this by all you when we made this deal. We'd get state control if we did this. Well, we did that. And then you said we got to do this. Okay, so we did that. And you just couldn't do enough. And finally, we had to go to Congress to get it changed. And uh, I think to have somebody speak out at that time on an issue that was representative of how hunters felt about maybe being abused in the process, uh, probably was whether they thought I was a good guy or not, they were just cheering, go get him, Randy, go get him. And, and so now I'm, I'm trying to be something other than the wolf guy. Um, even though, Giannis, we were supposed to go wolf hunting yesterday and I had to cancel on you. Yeah. What happened? Oh, it just, well, you know, you get back from a shot show. You guys go to these trade shows. Man, everything, you don't get anything done while you're there, and then you get home, and then it's, you know, a million other things. And then we got a legislative session going on in Montana right now, which that's always like an extra job for most of us who are involved in hunting politics. You got to go up there and listen to the, uh, I, I won't use the term I was going to use. I, <laughs> What's it start with? <laughs> starts with an a it's ass clowns is the term i was gonna use and and uh not all of them are that way but and when man, you go up there you're going on your own time going on obviously. my yeah going up there is randy newberg and, and then what exactly goes on when you go up there to this well when you go, when you go up to the legislature you know you you mostly spend your time on the committees that are related to hunting, fishing, public access issues. And so they have their committees, one in the House, one in the Senate, and you go there and you, you're you interacting with them. And uh, anybody can go? Anybody can go. And you go there and you sign in and they have every committee, uh, when a bill comes forward, the, it has a sponsor. The sponsor gets up and explains why Montana or whatever state it would be is in such a state of disarray, this legislation is going to save us from the dark side. And usually it's, you know, it's something that we don't need, but it makes them feel important. So, I mean, did, did you know that right now there's 120 fishing game bills in the Montana legislature? Really? I, I mean, I didn't realize we were that screwed up here that we needed 120 bills, but. Is that normal to have that many at a time? It has been lately. I, I There is a fringe group out there that just hates hunting, hates it. They claim to love hunting, but they hate fishing game. They hate public access. They hate public lands. Who Are we allowed to name them? Oh, yeah. it's. Uh, I'll say it. It's mostly the teabaggers. I mean, a bunch of far, far out in the fringe wing nuts. So not an actual named group, but just a, a group, a segment. An ideological a, yeah. group. Gotcha. And, you know, I, I say the fringe is the home of big egos and small ideas, and, and these guys got it to a T. But anyhow, to, to your point, Giannis, you go up there, 
and you testify in favor or in opposition to a bill. And uh, then the committee takes all the testimony and they vote one way or the other. And if it passes committee, it goes for a full full vote on the <clears throat> either the House or the Senate or, and then would move to the governor. So what, what's the hot ticket right now that you're going up there for? Oh, the hot ticket right now is, yeah, this transfer of public land. And, and you guys know about it because you've heard me screaming and yelling and jumping up and down about it, but uh, probably a lot of our viewers don't. On, on the surface, when someone says all these federal lands should be managed by the state, you know, your first intuition is hmm, maybe that's not a bad idea because there's all this gridlock on federal land management and everything else. But when you get down to the to the real guts of it, what does it represent? It's it represents a land grab. So, Giannis, you you lived in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. You know that it, we'll just use Colorado because it's the easiest example. And, and the premise is the federal government should transfer all the BLM and all the Forest Service lands to the states. So let's say they transfer it to the state of Colorado. You can't hunt state land in Colorado unless it's leased by the Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So a lot of states, you can hunt state land. Colorado, you can't. So there's 23 million acres of BLM and Forest Service land in Colorado that right now we can all hunt, we can camp, we can hike. If these screwballs got their way, that's 23 million acres in Colorado. You couldn't hunt, you couldn't camp, you couldn't hike, you couldn't fish unless Parks and Wildlife came and leased the access to those lands. And right now, they don't have enough money to lease even a fraction of, right. of the current state lands in Colorado. And so it's an ideological thing that goes back to the Sagebrush Rebellion of the late 80s. And back then, they packaged it as sell the public lands. They got their teeth handed to them. So they're like, well, we got to come up with a better thing. We, we don't want to call it sell the public lands. That gets people pretty wound up. So now they've called it transfer the, the public lands. So this, has, this came around in the 80s. Yeah. Tell me about the Sagebrush Rebellion. I'm interested. Oh, really? Oh, man. I was living in Nevada. You should see Randy smile. Oh, well, you know, it was led by Ronald Reagan's Secretary of Interior, James Watt. And I, if, if you don't follow politics in history, uh, James Watt was one of the big targets for narrow-mindedness. I mean, he got fired because one time he was interviewed and someone said, uh, you don't have much diversity. And his very blunt answer was, what do you mean? I got a black, a cripple, a woman, and a Jew. And he got fired the next morning. I mean, that's just what he said. He thought that was appropriate. And so he was kind of the intellectual leader of the Sagebrush Rebellion. And at that time, it was all about sell the public lands, get the federal government out of our hair. It went nowhere because people started thinking about what would our landscapes be like without public lands. I mean, this is as unique of an idea as America's ever given the world is the idea of public lands for everybody. And so now... Well, what were they going to do with them at that point in the 80s? So they wanted they're, to they're sell They're going to sell them to whoever was using them. So if you had the mining rights or the grazing rights or the oil and gas rights or you were a developer, let's just sell them. Get rid of this. Put the money in the U.S. Treasury. And he was pushing this f as the seller because he was a 
federal employee. He he was leading. He was one of their intellectual leaders. He wasn't actively advocating that within the Department of Interior, but he was sympathetic to their cause. They mm-hmm. viewed him as their poster gotcha. child for the movement. So it kind of died in a, an ungracious but much needed death for about fifteen years, and then in mostly in southern Utah. We get this movement building and building and building. And, you know, what was it this time last year? We had Cliven Bundy, the welfare rancher, saying he's not going to take his cows off BLM, blah, blah, blah. I mean, what a chucklehead. Yeah. Yeah. And then you you look at the crowd of people who are down there as his militia. I mean, you want to talk about letting the apes out. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how you could watch the whole Clive and Bundy thing and not scratch your head and say, America, America really has become the low information capital of the world. Well, right. They, they just obviously didn't think it through because right. it's the, the most un-American thing they could have done right. at, at that moment. And then they walk around saying everyone's picking on them. Oh, mainstream media doesn't like us. No, mainstream America thinks you're an idiot. <laughs> so... But, so this whole transfer of public land thing starts building momentum again in southern Utah, in parts of Nevada, Idaho, mostly in the western states. So not right now, in 2015, we have Utah, who's already passed a bill that said, if you don't give us your federal lands, Washington, D.C., we're going to sue you as of December 31st, 2014. And they funded a bunch of money. They're going to just... They budgeted $2 million to go and sue the federal government to give them the lands. And so we've got a bunch of people in Montana pushing the issue in our legislature. We, The Republican Party, unfortunately, I'm a conservative guy, and it causes me to pull my hair out when I have to say this, but the Republican Party in Montana this summer added as one of their platform planks to their party platform state takeover of public lands. In Montana, where I live, you can only camp for two days on public land or, or on uh, state land. And you have to camp within 300 yards of the nearest access point. So this year, we did a backpack mountain goat hunt south of Bozeman here. We were, we were there for more than two days. I wouldn't want to have to hike that in and out every day. By the time I got there, I'd have to turn around and come back. You know, so hunters on the surface think this is a good idea. And not just hunters, but Americans, because it's it's an easy, oh, the, you know, we've we've done such a good job of making the feds the enemy. The, what do you, what would happen? How would you feel if the states uh, the, the land got transferred to the states, but then the states there opened up the hunting access equal or better to the to the federal? Would that be a different story for you, or is it still? It, a, it, w- it would definitely be a different story, but then it doesn't get to the next part of the problem is. I'll, I'll use Wyoming, for example. They, when they were granted their statehood, and all the western states were given these l- sections of land, lots of it, millions of acres, to fund their school systems. Wyoming was given 4.2 million acres. They've already sold 700,000 of that. Nevada was granted two, just over 2 million acres. They sold every acre of it. And that, so when you look at who these people are, where they've come from the Sagebrush Rebellion, and now they're this divestiture, whatever you want to call it, it's 
to your point, Dan, the fact that their motives have always been let's sell the public lands and now they're trying to repackage a turd and call it something else gets, <laughs> you know, it's, so it, that's probably the biggest issue going on, on in state legislatures right now. And we could spend this whole podcast talking about that topic. We could spend the whole podcast just explaining what negative impact that concept has for hunters. Well, it's a pretty timely topic. I, I think that, you know, as we go over these topics like wolves and this topic, I think there's a, you know, I stay abreast of these topics pretty strongly, and yet I recognize there's a big uh, deficit in my knowledge. Like, I just don't, there's a lot of education to be had about these things that uh, I know I, I, it would benefit me to do, you know. So I think I think it's worthwhile, maybe not this podcast, but at some point really laying it out there because it's a complex subject. There's a lot of, yeah. a lot of stuff going on with it, and I, I mean, it's fascinating and seemingly very important to yeah, I, timely. I, you know, and it, it's good to have like a summarized version of because there's just so much to read out there to really stay abreast and then digest. And so it's good to have someone like you do it, Randy, yeah. and then be able to give me the say the minutes of what's going on, and I can feel like, <laughs> oh yeah, okay, uh, I'm a little more educated than I was. Yeah, I, I've yet to meet a hunter who we didn't have a discussion with either in person or email or otherwise about this topic. Who, when we were done, they didn't say, "Oh, I didn't realize that." That's a stupid idea. Yeah, <laughs> it is. So, but that's just again one of the the many many topics that these guys said, "Randy, we want you to talk about this and talk about that." So, that's uh, that's what we're doing. I, you know, I'd be kind of interested from you guys. You guys know a little bit about me, but you're not an insider to Randy. You know, uh, where do you see a Randy type? Uh, opinion or voice or whatever you'd want to call it that that could be useful in filling a void that's out there in in the hunting media or hunting communication world other than what I do on TV well I think uh, the first thing that comes to mind is what we already touched on a little bit is just having a, a platform for some real just straight up conversation and, and some just uh, both both the the honesty and and then the uh, well, I guess for me, you know, I'm 32 years old and uh, like I said, stay abreast of these topics, but I kind of am looking for education, you know, and it says I'm looking for information. And I think that uh, I'm looking for information that's not, uh, I think what's attractive about it is that, you know, you said you do own all your own stuff. You're not afraid to just speak your your honest mind. It's it's not coming from a different place. You're not selling anything. You're not, you know, you you. It's. I also like that you're from Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota too. <laughs> that, uh, attractive. Uh, but no, I I I kind of have this little uh, desire in me to like light a fire under you a little bit and just really let it go. You know, not 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 worry about uh, saying too much or too little. I you know I value. I value what, what you have to say. And I think uh, there's a lot of people out there that uh, I don't care if they like what you say or not. I, I just think it's, uh, you know, educational and uh, makes you think about what's going on and in a closer way than is possible sometimes just uh, reading on a page or kind of digging around and stuff. And, yeah. Well, you know, 
Yeah. As you guys know, producing TV, every time an episode gets sent off to the network, you say, gosh, I wish we could have fit this in there. And this was really cool. I wish we could have fit that in there. And uh, you guys can relate to that as much as I can. And you have to entertain in TV. You know, I mean, I think that we've, we've kind of nailed, Giannis and I talk about this all the time, about what it takes to make a half hour of TV really compelling, really entertaining, really interesting. Um, and informative at the same time. This Steve Rennell always talks about sort of a, a golden rule in uh, writing and sort of entertainment in general or TV, and it's 80-20. You know, you, you entertain 80% of the time and you inform 20% of the time. I actually might have those slightly wrong, but something like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's great, and, and I, I love making that TV, and uh, there, I think there's a... There's a different sort of entertainment. There's a different sort of sort of hook that comes with this sort of platform. Where, and I think I think you know your fans telling you or your hunt hot guys telling you, you know, I want you unfiltered. People want that. You know, I've been on the Joe Rogan podcast, and, and he's really who got us going into podcasting to start with, and that's what people want, man. They, you know, they they. they it's real. You. It's real. They know who you are, and they just want they want you, and that's. You know, it's interesting after three and a half years of building Meat Eater with Steve, it's, you know, what our fans want from him too is they just want more of him. They do. They want, huh. and it's it's really a, uh, you said before we started here that, you know, it feels a little scary to, to have an influence or a sway on, on so many people, just what's coming out of your mouth. But it's important. You know? oh. it's, it's important. And we wouldn't be, you know, pushing you to do this podcast if, if we didn't, um, want your voice to be out there. We do. I do. Yeah, I feel like it's a way for me to be educated and I, and I trust, I think it, in general, the people that we know that know Randy and probably all your hunt talk foreign people, they trust you to do your research. So when they're listening, that it, it's the real, it's the mostly the facts coming out and yes, your opinion is going to be in there, but I think you have a good way of separating those two and, and being like, hey, here are the facts and then here's how I feel about it and you know what, how I think it's going to maybe play out down the line, which is, you know, it's important to me to know to separate those two because I feel like a lot of times you get information, you ingest it and it's so swayed by whatever interests, opinions that it's hard to decipher exactly, you know, what's going on. And then... Yeah. Moving from that, you know, being educated, then I want to know how to make a difference now. But as a person with a full-time job and a full-time family, you know, my time's finite. Right. And so when I go and, you know, if I'm going to go to, you have an upcoming, I think, thing in Helena, right? Yeah, we have a big land, ra- a big, public land rally Yeah, in Helena. so I want to know, is it worth it for me to take that half a day to make, or probably full day to drive all the way up there, join that rally and come back? Does, does, is that going to go someplace? Is that worthwhile, you know? Yeah, I, and that's, you know, it's those types of activism where there's times where you need the guy with the loud mouth and the guy who understands the maze, the labyrinth of, of the political process like I do. But then there's the times where you just need an absolute show of force that scares the crap out of politicians. So when they walk out of the front steps of the Capitol and they see a thousand guys standing there in orange vests. They're like, oh man, we just opened up a can of whoop ass that we can't get back in the can. And so to your point of, is it worthwhile? Yeah, it, it is. Um, but we understand everybody's, <laughs> everyone's got a job, a family, and that's how the, the opposition takes advantage of us. 
as a general rule, as hunters, we're busy living a life, busy working, building businesses, paying our taxes, doing the living, dying, breathing that comes with building America and being Americans. And so over on the other side, they're like, oh, those guys are so busy. Let's, let's go and hijack their issues and make them our issues and, and leverage it. So how, how to do it, Giannis, is, uh, and this sounds like ninth grade civics, is get online, email your senator, email your congressman, email your local person. And people are like, yeah, but they never email me back. A staffer emails me back. Well, that's because they get so many emails, they have staffers to filter this stuff. If they get 10 form letters on one topic, the staffer kind of just throws it in the trash. Well, these are form letters. If they get five personal, unique emails or letters on the same topic, they pay attention. The, the, the chief of staff, the person in charge of okay, the Okay, so staffers. that's very interesting to me because I get, you know, I subscribe to email lists and I get them from... Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, and I get them from, um, you know, Boone and Crockett, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Um, and a lot of times it, what you're saying, it is that form letter where they're like, hey, this is what's going on. Please right. take this letter, forward it, attach your name to it. Right. So right. you're saying it'd be much more, it had much more power if I just took one out of every 10 of those I got and said, that's the gist of it. I should write my own five sentences about it and attach it. Exactly. That goes a lot farther. Yeah, because that's good to know. What happens is someone in that staff says, you know what? We got 10, 12 emails in the last two days on this topic. And that staff person gets told, you better find out what's going on out there. And so it's kind of a way that they've, have, they've had to put it together to make sure that they're hearing the public. And yeah, it's frustrating to get a form letter, you know, kind of a, a stamped signature or whatever, but that is part of what makes a difference. And if you can become part of a local group, I don't care if it's a rod and gun club, a fishing group or whatever, those local groups, our local group here in Bozeman, Montana, Headwaters Fishing Game Association that me and two other guys started, we might not be the biggest group around, but there's not a politician in Montana that isn't wondering what do those headwater guys think about this. Even our our congressional delegates are like, hmm, these guys, they can make my life miserable. And especially with Randy having this big web forum and this TV show. How many folks are part of this headwaters group? Oh, we, you know, our memberships probably very goes back and forth. Our mailing list and memberships like close to 300 at times sometimes it shrinks down to a couple hundred it's all of ten dollars a year <laughs> but mostly the value of it is and this is how most the the local i'm gonna join today yeah this, this is how most of the local rod and gun clubs are set up is we need to be activists at the local level because as they say all politics is local and when our hunting and fishing issues become political issues they become very powerful at the local level so What's an example of something that uh, you guys have accomplished or, or, or pushed just as uh, at the local level? Like yeah. What's a, what's a real... Uh, an example is, and a lot of people who live in Montana don't realize, that south of Bozeman, through the Gallatin Canyon, used to all be checkerboard. In other words, private, public, private, public. Well, a timber company came and bought it all, a big sky lumber company. 
And in 93 or They 90, bought all... They, they bought all the private within the, that. Okay. And we used to, the, when it was Plum Creek Timber, we could cross, they, you can hunt our land, you can whatever. Well, they put out notice, now that we own it, next year you're not hunting here. Whew. We're talking hundreds of thousands of acres. I mean, even though they only own, I think, 60 or 70,000, they provided access to, you know, hundreds of thousands more. That, that was like a shot across the bow. And so it took quite a while to get it done. But in the late 90s, we, uh, we get, had a, land, a consolidation, a land exchange, where we gave them a bunch of, of uh, timber. Okay, you go cut timber there, and whatever money comes off that, we'll use it to buy some land. And we'll trade you some junk land. And, and now there's a billionaire's club up by Big Sky Ski Resort called the Yellowstone Club. And that's part of what they got out of the trade. But when it was oh. all said and done, all of that access got preserved. And I'm sure if you talk to anyone, whether it's Senator Baucus at the time, Senator Conrad Burns at the time, he when Senator Burns ran for Senate in Montana, he was what they call a no-net gainer. In other words, no-net gain of public land. He supported it. And we were, on the hunting side, we were the guys driving the bus on that. And uh, it's just one of many things that... A, a local group can make a big influence on. See, that's one interesting thing I think maybe general America does not understand is that uh, not only did that access, would that access have, blocking that access would have been trouble for hunters. It also would have been trouble for hikers, for mountain bikers, for just, you know, recreators. And when you talk about like Colorado, all I think about in Colorado, well, now I think about marijuana, but I also think (laughs) about... um, just just recreation, outdoor recreation, that yeah. state. I mean, that is what people go there to do. And, uh, you know, I think it's important. And back to what, you know, we think or I think that uh, I want to hear more from you is is just making it very clear to people that, you know, there's not many hikers that are out there. Well, I could actually be wrong about this. Maybe there's hiking organizations that lobby for, for land conservation and preservation for public lands. But, I, I mean, you tell me, you... you kind of the the mouthpiece for this but hunters are the ones driving sort of the the public land recreation thing and benefiting not just hunters not just fishermen but everybody in the west hunters are driving the bus i mean if you want to scare the hell out of a politician in montana wyoming idaho utah nevada colorado get the hunters riled up and when they get organized and they take action People pay attention. And wouldn't it be something if we could, through what we're trying to do out here, and I think uh, that's my goal, is to, you know, we want to talk about getting all the hunters together and to, to do some, make some changes. But if we could also get those hikers and mountain bikers and skiers to all join yeah. our movement here, I think it could do great things. That's the cool thing about, you know, Bozeman. I think just Montana in general, and, and it's it's not just Montana, but just how uh, – you know, I just we just opened up this ZPZ office here, and I moved from New York City. I was in Brooklyn for three years, and uh, it's it's just it's such an integrate. I think that the where I would love to see the national arena of hunting sort of integration into culture and life is here in Bozeman and Montana. You know, you have your bikers, you have your hikers, you have all your recreation, and most of them also hunt. Right. You know, and they and people understand that value, and people sort of. It's just, um, I think Bozeman, in, in you know, its own strange way, is is very sort of in line with sort of the hip culture of, of Brooklyn and on the coast and stuff. With the addition of like the, the 
the practical aspect of getting your own meat and, and being a part of the land. It's, it's, uh, I actually think it's a very sort of demonstrative uh, population here of how things could go, you know, a crossover of, of our sort of rural Western, uh, you know, places along with a, a more, uh, you know, modern, even liberal type of way of life. Yeah. I just feel that, that they cross over here really well. well. And, and across the West, there's a lot of places like this that, hunters are looked at as you guys will take care of this for us and the hikers aren't engaged the bikers aren't engaged and i don't know why that is if they've just taken it for granted that hey this is always going to be here or hey hunters are the ones who they really get upset about this so we'll let them do the heavy lifting on that or, or what but as a general rule in a lot of these western states anyhow the hunters are the ones who are the influencers Interesting, because speaking of Colorado, they now have a, I think it's called the Hug a Hunter campaign. Yeah, you did you see this? that on TV? Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen a little bit of it, and they're really putting it out there about how, hey, these people are putting a lot of money into what you're getting out of it as as a, as a different recreationalist, you know, whether it is a skiing, hiking, camping, or whatever. And so you need to think about that. And they're putting it out there. And I got to commend them because, you know, Colorado is often known as this very, very green state that's, um, you know, on the liberal side of things. And so for them to speak up and say, hey, no, you guys need to thank hunters for all of this, what we have going on here, that's big. Yeah, it is. It's, I think it's cool. And no, I didn't pay them to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. You know, I think that there is a, you know, I think we're very much engaged in, in making this happen. But there's a, uh, you know, a, a new way to, to look at hunters and understand what they're really doing, what they've done in the past, what they're doing now. And, you know, how much they have to offer for conservation, how much they have to offer for, for the, wo- the the food movement and, and the right. local movement. And, um uh, it's uh, it's just very, it's exciting to be kind of on the forefront. It's very exciting to be on the forefront from that of that. And one sort of one thought I had just this last week that makes sense to me is that I think there's a big support in our country right now for for farmers, for local farmers. For for there's kind of a, a love I would say our public has for for farmers. They appreciate them. There's a respect, and I don't see why. Um, that couldn't be the same type of thing that we have for hunters in this country too. And hugging a, hugging a hunter's a good way to start. I, I think it's happening. I mean, you guys have reached with your meat eater idea. You've taken a lot of people with an interest in food and brought them and exposed them to the hunting world in a different paradigm, a different context in which they might have thought of poachers or guys shooting panda animals or whatever. And that's a, I think that's been a big part of, of your success, besides high-level production and compelling stories, is just the demographic you've went to. For me, I was going after this public land advocate and bringing them to the connection of hunting and hunters to the connection of how important these public lands are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's made our voice different, kind of like you guys have in the food world. And so it's, it is fun to do it, even though, as you guys know, it's a lot of work. <laughs> you know, we've got a little more time and something that you could touch on that's very interesting to me and I'd like to know a little bit about is in your notes, you mentioned um, Roosevelt's, was it the Moose Party or the goal? The Bull Moose Party. The Bull Moose Party. Yeah. And how, how you're talking about maybe <laughs> resurrecting it or whatever. And do, are you versed? Yeah. Okay. Well, my wife always 
has this look of fear when the phone call or someone sees me on the street and they're trying to talk me into running for politics. And we have, when we got married, we had a standing deal. If Randy gets into politics officially, she's gone. <laughs> Somehow I've suckered her into staying with me for 26 years, so I'm not going there. But her and I talk about this stuff a lot. And she's my, my person in the back who's so quiet and modest, but she's like, go get them, Randy, go get them. Or if I come home and the, you know, the crowds have just kind of beat me down in the political game, she's like, what, are you just going to give up, pansy? You know, she, she knows where to light the fires. And so when we talk a lot, one of the things we talk about is the, the history of all this. And, and if you're a, a, a student of history, you know that Theodore Roosevelt was a fanatic hunter, was the guy who instilled the entire notion of conservation in the American populace. I mean, he's, he's who brought us our collective conservation ethic. And when William McKinley got shot in 1901, all of a sudden TR is the vice president. We have a hunter in the White House. And he serves that term and then he serves the next term. So he spends seven years in there and in the process builds the public estate to hundreds of millions of acres, has set aside many national monuments, national parks. I mean, he's the dude. I mean, <laughs> I don't care if you hunt or don't hunt. If you enjoy public lands and amazing landscapes, Theodore Roosevelt is your guy. Well, he goes and does his safaris in Africa for four years, comes back, and he realizes all the work he'd just done is being sold off again. And the Republicans don't want him. They're like, get this cowboy, get this wild, crazy guy out of our hair. So they pretty much threw him out of the party. He said, well, I'll show you. He went and started the Bull Moose Party. And it was based on his principles. And, and how many writers, how many media do you see today, quote Theodore Roosevelt? He's probably the most quoted guy in America still a hundred over a hundred years later. Well, he started the Bull Moose Party. All of his Republican friends got mad because they knew he was going to take a lot of votes from them. And what they projected would happen did happen. The Democrat, Woodrow Wilson, wins the presidential election. But the point being, the uh, the Bull Moose Party had a lot of steam and it happened at a time when there there was division among the traditional parties there was this kind of manifest destiny of how we you know everything was about a short-term vision of how do we get the most money out of this blah 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 and it was having a big impact on our landscapes and and uh he said you know what even if i gotta leave the traditional political paradigm i will and he did. So, <laughs> so tell, <let's, laughs> tell us more about the Bull Moose Party itself. Like, what were, was it primarily or, or solely going after these federal lands and these public no. land types? Or was it bigger? It, it was it, a whole party. It, it, was a, it was a lot of people from both sides who said, you know what, some of these, they call them progressive ideas at the time, are appealing to us. But as we know in the political world, sometimes if you're a long, historical party like Republicans and Democrats, you have a tendency to hold on to these things and n never change. And I'm always, our party's always been for this or our party's always been for that. And they, at the time, they said, you know what, we're going to, 
we're going to worry about other things. And at that time, it was issues like isolationism, which Theodore Roosevelt was, you know, not a big isolationist. It, it was things about public lands because the West was still being developed. It was, it was a whole lot of things. I mean, so here we got a guy who's on Mount Rushmore who got thrown out of his own political party. <laughs> so that, that's kind of the, the point of it, Giannis, when you ask me about uh, the Bull Moose Party. I didn't learn that in high school and, history class. I was not taught that. Oh, okay. Or maybe no. you were just sleeping. Maybe. Where I grew up in northern Minnesota, Dan, they taught the Bull Moose Party. Really? <laughs> yeah, we did. I, just missed I don't know. If Mr. Tarrant was my teacher. I, I can't remember what what class it was but uh so those you know the more things change the more they stay the same and here we are i think history's repeating itself in a lot of respects in that if someone were to step forward in one of these parties and they try to promote an idea that is a little bit against the grain they get run out of town you know you get assigned to the the cafeteria committee in congress you know it's like really and that's why I've been this equal opportunity abuser and equal opportunity supporter when it comes to these issues. I don't really care about Republicans or Democrats. Yeah, I'm a conservative person and I'm I'm clearly right of center. Yeah, what's your party called? I think you told me this morning. Uh, <laughs> You're from the party of... Uh, I, I'm trying to remember which, which title I, I used, John. The, the hunting and fishing party. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, that's exactly what it is. I, I don't really care about R's and D's and... And we as, as uh, hunters, the progress we've always made, all the great conservation work we've done is because we've not let ourselves be defined or at least let our issues be defined by the R or the D, the left, the right, the conservative or the liberal. Um, unfortunately, I'm seeing some of that changing and that, that probably disturbs me more than anything and why I'm I'm willing to stick my neck out there. Get it, it gets, I get my neck chopped off plenty of times when I stick it out there, but uh I hate it when I see a hunter just take the spoon feeding from one side or the other and not have thought it out at all. Um, we look like fools when we do that. And when you think about it just from a strategy standpoint, at one point in time, if you, if you say, I'm going to be on the left, well, guess what? Half the time, the right's going to be in charge. So you're going to get steamrolled half the time. Just, so I, I just, I have no use for the being labeled or being part of of a political party so but good what, what, what else you got there Giannis? i see you got something written down called green decoys yeah i was just i've been scratching notes and just ideas that pop into my head because that was something that popped up recently i don't yeah. know through emails or something was this green decoys thing and it's, i think i understand what's going on there but well you know and i'm kind of a target of those people um, they're, they're not quite sure how to read Randy Newberg. Who are these people? The, the people who think that this new hunting movement, kind of like you referred to, Dan, the foodies, and the people who really treasure landscapes and public access, we're getting in the way of progress for those people. And the fact that there's a change going on, and it happens slowly in generational changes, but the hunting face, even though I'm gray-haired, they can't see that on a podcast, but I'm 50. I'm part of that older cadre who's feeling their grip loosening on the hunting message and the, the traditional hunting style and the power brokers. And it's being replaced by young guys like you. And as part of that, hunters 
are having a new awareness about certain issues. And this green decoy thing popped up because there are some groups that have been pretty outspoken about public land policy issues. Trout Unlimited, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partners, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and a couple others. And as much as I'm not, you know, in lockstep with them, you know, there's times I disagree with them. There's a lot of times I agree with them. There are some groups that have funded a lot of dark money with this guy, Richard Berman. He's a, he's a mil, multimillionaire lobbyist in D.C., and his job is to put together these smear campaigns. And we all use oil and gas. I have nothing against oil and gas. But he went to the oil and gas industry uh, meeting in Colorado Springs, I think it was a little over a year ago, and someone recorded his conversation. And it ended up in the New York Times. And really what he said is, you know, you can either lose pretty or lose uh, friendly, or you can win ugly. And here's how we got to go after those obstructionists. And so wait, back up. Just to, what, what is their goal? The, their goal is to go after groups like TRCP, Backcountry Hunters, Trout Unlimited, and, and there's a couple others there. I can't remember who are the topics of that. But... He went to the oil and gas industry, and some of the oil and gas guys said, we're not going to be a part of this. And so they kind of spilled the beans on him. Well, out pops this green decoy thing. And it's, a, it's an absolute, ridiculous, aggressive, black money campaign out of Washington, D.C. to try to divide the hunting community. And it's mostly driven by people who are afraid of younger, more, you know, open-minded hunters having a voice and engaging in these debates. You know, I, just this morning, some guy sent me this link. It says, I think you should know about these backcountry hunter guys. <laughs> I sent him a scathing email. I'm like, you know what? If you are getting your information from some ass clown in Washington, D.C. who's a lobbyist, you and I aren't going to agree on much. And so... When I saw you writing that down, Giannis, my blood pressure starts getting a little higher. I'm thinking, all right, Randy. Yeah. You, so are you following like what he's saying uh, with the smear campaign? It, yeah. So, so this guy, he's he's got a, a video out there. He's got a website. And he's saying that these hunting groups are really decoys for the green environmental movement. That be, Because TRCP's taking money from all sides on these policy things. But So here's the irony of it. He makes his big case that they're a bunch of screaming liberals based on where they took some of their money. But he won't disclose where he gets his money from. He, he's publicly stated, I funnel these through nonprofit groups where I don't have to disclose who my donors are. And Randy Newberg is kind of one of their targets. They send their hatchet guys out after me in a smaller scale because they don't know where to read me. Half the time I'm over on the right, half the time I'm on the left. I sit on the board of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I'm a life member of the NRA. But yet, I got a lot in common with the backcountry hunter and angler principles. I'm going to be at their, their rendezvous in March. I'm going to give a keynote speech about the guys who are trying to steal the public land. I don't agree with them on everything. I don't, I don't, no one agrees with Randy on everything, and I don't agree with everyone else on anything, everything. 
But so this is a very well-financed, powerful campaign, and it's a classic example of how our hunting issues, the new paradigm, the new shift, the new argument is being fought in a different way. And again, it's something that sells easily to hunters who aren't willing to roll back the covers and see what kind of cockroaches are in the bed. And that's nothing but a bunch of cockroaches. How's your blood pressure now? I don't know, but my face is flush. I'm feeling <laughs> like I need, I, I either need a dose of coffee or I need a drink, one or the other. <laughs> but, well, guys, this, I don't know, this was a start. Um, and the topic list that I have is, oh man, we only got through about three of the 40 or 50. So I think you could probably sit down for an entire year and talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every topic we touched, uh, we could have gotten way more in depth on. Yeah. So that was good though. I enjoyed that. Well, thanks for talking me into it. I don't know if it'll go anywhere. Um, this let's might do be, some more. Might be one and done. But thanks for having us on. Yeah. Thank you. Hunt Talk Podcast, volume one in the books.